1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those, for those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Our beloved church family watching online, hope and pray that you had a good and faithful week of God's provision and blessing upon you. Now let's ask God to be with us as we hear his word. Would you bow your head and join me in prayer? Father, we ask that in spite of all the difficulties and all the drama that we've had to face, all the temptations and the turmoil that we've had to fight within us, now we come before you asking for you to grant us refreshment to our soul by fulfilling the promise that you have made through your son that when two or more are gathered in his name, that your very present would be among us and that through your healing presence, we would find once again peace and stability so that we could have the courage once again to go out into the chaotic world you call us to represent the stabilizing love of God too. God, we ask now that you would speak to us and that in spite of all the uh, challenges that we may be going through now, even the things waiting for us out these doors, that for this moment, you can grant us the divine perspective that we need so that we know that ultimately we are victors in our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, God, we pray in his name that you would hear us now and that you would bless this message in spite of the one who brings it. For we ask all these things in Jesus' name and all God's people together said, amen and amen. So we're continuing our sermon series uh, entitled The In-Person Church. And in this series, we're taking a look at a specific set of commands in the New Testament that all have the phrase, one another attached to them, hence the one another commands. And the reason why we're looking at this specific set of commands in the New Testament is because as we consider what is involved and entailed in order to properly obey them, we come to the irrefutable conclusion that we can only do so within the specific context of an in-person, face-to-face situation, hence the in-person church. We started off in this series talking about the importance of greeting one another, and then we followed it up with the foundational love one another, and then last week, we put some teeth to the idea of that love with a tough version of it known as admonishing one another, and today, we're going to consider what is arguably the most popular one another command, evidenced by the fact that it's the most cited, the most frequently commanded of all the one another commands. In fact, it's cited 54 times. Yeah. Now you hear that, you're like, wow, 54 times. This must be a very significant, a very crucial one another command. Pastor, tell me what it is. I can't wait. Well, I'll tell you. 
You ready? Encourage. Encourage. The most cited, the most commanded one another command in the New Testament is the one that goes like this. Encourage one another. Now you hear that and you might be somewhat perplexed because when you would imagine something that would warrant 54 different references, 54 repetitive references of a command, you would imagine something very daunting but challenging, something very difficult but inspiring, something to the effect of like serve one another or even die for one another. But encourage one another? It just seems so anticlimactic. It just seems so uh, unexpected. Because in our culture today, when we think about encouragement, it's not something that we typically see as something that is so vital, so crucial to our life. Am I right? I mean, yes, if you're a middle schooler struggling to fit in, yeah, you need to be encouraged. Or if you're a senior citizen living alone and you're lonely and you have nothing better to do than to watch daytime soaps, yes, you need to be encouraged. But people like us, people in our prime, people who are hardworking, who are New Yorkers, we don't need to be encouraged. I mean, we have other things going on in our life where being encouraged doesn't seem like a major priority, right? Wrong. Wrong. Because what I hope to show you today is that the New Testament tells us that you, that me, that all of us, we need to be encouraged. Not it would be nice to be encouraged or it would be pleasant to be encouraged, but you and I need to be encouraged. We must be encouraged. And as I hope to try to persuade you into that conviction, three things I'd like to share with you today with regard to how we are to encourage one another in the church. First, we're going to talk about what encouragement is. Then we're going to talk about why encouraging one another is so important. And then we're going to end it with how encouraging one another is possible. What it is, why it's so important, and how to make it possible, okay? Let's begin with the first point, what encouragement is. So as I said a moment ago, when we think of the idea of encouragement, we think of it as something somewhat tame, fluffy, and therefore unnecessary. In fact, I imagine the last time you even encountered the word encouragement was during the card sections of the dollar store or drugstore somewhere, where you have a massive aisle filled with glossy cards and a banner that says, words of encouragement. And if you even have the chance to read some of these words of encouragement, you're like rolling your eyes, right? Because it's so cheesy. Just to share with you a recent trip to CVS that I had, I picked up one of these words of encouraging cards, and I came across these words. Quote, life can be tough, but you can be tougher. Stay strong. As soon as I read that, I was like, good grief. No wonder people in our society dismiss and minimize the significance of words of encouragement because in our culture, we reduce words of encouragement as nothing more than a glossy, cheesy, superficial card, right? A Hallmark card that only costs $2.35, and that's the only value that it has for us. But did you know, in the days of Paul, words of encouragement would have meant something very different for him and his original audience. And we get a hint of what that is in verse 8 of our passage. Read along as I read it to you. Let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Notice the military symbolism associated that Paul makes to encouragement. A breastplate, a helmet, and rightly so, because it turns out that the word encouragement in the original New Testament Greek, parakaleo, was usually used in the context where a king is trying to embolden his men to go into a bloody 
battle. So when Paul thinks of words of encouragement, he's not thinking of a cheesy Hallmark card. He's thinking of someone like King Leonidas from the movie 300. Remember that guy, King Leonidas from 300? And do you remember how in that movie he encourages his troops right before the Battle of Thermopylae by saying these words? Spartans, ready your breakfast and eat hearty, for tonight we dine in hell. And then they go off killing thousands of Persians, right? That for Paul is words of encouragement. They're words that inspire, words that motivate us to face daunting challenges, to confront difficult people, to embrace overwhelming circumstances and not to respond in cowering fear, not to be filled with self-loathing and self-doubt and not to cower in such a despairing, giving up mindset. No, it is when you respond to such circumstances with courage and fearlessness for the sake of other people. That's what it means to encourage. It means to give people the hope that they need in circumstances that tell them they should doubt. It gives them the fire to go forward instead of to cover themselves with the coldness of fear, you see. That is what encouragement is, and yet so sadly, so often, so many of us, we hardly ever experience that kind of encouragement. If anything, most of us have experienced the polar opposite And of course, I'm talking about discouragement. In fact, in our particular demographic, a humorous illustration of the kind of discouragement that we may have experienced goes something like this. You're in high school. You're studying hard to make your parents proud, to please them, to get into a good university. And then grade reports come out. Your school report card comes in, and your mom's like, all right, give it to me. Let me see. Let me see. Okay, A plus, good. A plus, mm mm-hmm. A plus, good. A minus? A minus? A minus in horticulture? How dare you? How dare you get an A minus? How dare you bring an A minus into my home disrespecting me after all I do for you, right? Now we can kind of snicker and smile at a humorous illustration that has some relevance to our lives. But it's not so funny when you hear staggering reports of teenagers killing themselves over their grades. It's not so funny when you hear how in South Korea, they have the highest rate of teenage suicide more than any other country in the world. Why? Because of the pressures of school. Now, linger on that for just a moment as I ask you this question. If that is the destructive power of discouragement, especially over something so insignificant like grades, how much more powerful could be the constructive, empowering energy of encouragement in our lives. You see, encouragement is not something needed for middle schoolers, nor is it simply for senior citizens. It's for you, it's for me, because we live in a daunting, challenging world, amen, filled with people trying to tear us down, shame us, guilt us, overwhelm us in such a way that left to ourselves, It could keep us in a destructive mindset, either to ourselves or the people around us. Encouragement is so vitally important. And when you understand that, then you begin to grasp why Paul says in our passage it is so important. But to further elaborate on that, let me go to my next point, why encouragement is important. Uh, Let's go back to verse 1 of our passage where he writes the following. Now concerning the times, the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. Now just a little context to this verse. Apparently, the Christians in the city of Thessalonica, they constantly asked Paul, Paul, when's Jesus coming back? When is he returning? 
When is the day of the Lord? When's judgment day? When's the end of days? Can you tell us when Jesus is returning for the second time? And in fact, all throughout the letter of 1 Thessalonians, that's a prominent theme popping up over and over, the parousia, the second advent of Jesus Christ. And we ask, why were these Christians so obsessed with the second coming of Jesus? Well, for one reason and one reason only, they were discouraged. They were massively discouraged. You see, the Christians in the city of Thessalonica discovered something many of you have probably discovered for yourself. And that is, it is not easy living the Christian life in the city that you call your home, right? And that's what was going on in the life of the Thessalonians. They were so overwhelmed, so discouraged by trying to identify and live out their Christian faith that all the city did in return was constantly discouraged. And I mean, who of us in here can't relate? Think back on some of the most difficult moments of your life, the darkest seasons that you had to go through with your loved ones. In the most crueling moments of that time, haven't you sometimes ever prayed silently? Jesus, can you just hurry up and come back already? Can you just come and take me home? Can we just end this all and just take me away from this? Lord, just come quickly, please. That's what was happening in the minds and the hearts of the Christian in Thessalonica. And the question is, why were these brothers and sisters struggling like this? Well, we get the answer in verse 3 of our passage where Paul quotes a very prominent quote in that city. It says this, there is peace and security. There is peace and security. This was a very prominent quotation that non-Christians in the city of Thessalonica were saying. This was their mantra. This was their banner of life as citizens of that city. See, it turns out that for them, Life was good because that's what this phrase is saying. There's peace and security, essentially saying life is good. Life is great. All the non-Christians in this city were doing so well for themselves. They were prospering financially. They were rising up the social economic status of the culture. Their families were growing. Their houses were getting bigger. Their businesses were booming. And as a result of all this success, the Christians in that city, they were discouraged. Now you're thinking, why in the world would Christians be discouraged because of their non-Christian counterparts doing so well. Why would Christians be that way? That shouldn't be the case, right? Well, you get the answer why in verses 6 to 7. It says, So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. What in the world is Paul talking about? Well, it will be helpful to know that when he's referring to night, he's not actually referring to the literal twilight hours, the evening hours where there is no more sun. No, night in this reference is referring to unrighteousness, immorality, ungodliness. This is validated when he says in verse 5, we Christians are not of the night or of the darkness. Now, when you grasp that, then you begin to connect the dots and you begin to figure out what's happening. The Christians in Thessalonica were discouraged because their non-Christians were being so flourishing and successful because they were living in such sin. They were compromising. They had no integrity. They were cutting corners. They were cheating. They were lying. They were stealing credit from other people, namely other Christians in the various industries of the city. And they were pretty much thriving with flourishing at the expense of Christians, right? They were cutting corners. They were cheating the system. And as a result, they were prospering along with their families, okay? That's where all their success came out of. It came out of darkness. And did these people lose over sleep? No. They were sleeping just fine, or if they chose not to sleep, they were partying hard, getting drunk. They had no sense of guilt, no sense of shame. 
for doing this to their Christian counterparts. I mean, can you imagine if you are a Christian in Thessalonica, you're working in the city to where you're working with integrity, you're working hard, you're working honestly, but instead of you getting the recognition, instead of you getting the promotion, instead of you getting the raise, it's your non-Christian peer who steals credit for your work or who manipulates the optics in such a way that it makes like you're the one who didn't do the job when in fact it was them, and now they're prospering and not you? You know, there's a very prominent phrase that we teach our kids. Winners never cheat, cheaters never win. But in the city of Thessalonica, it was more like cheaters always win and Christians always lose. And as a result, these Christians in Thessalonica were so massively discouraged to the point where they wondered, is it really worth living this Christian life? How is this fair? How is this right? How is this consistent with the say that we would be a blessing to the world if we followed our Lord Jesus when all it seems to result in is us being cursed and passed over, right? Is this something that you can relate to, Christian? Of course you can, because I've seen it and I witnessed it in your lives. How do you explain a woman who is so godly, so pure, so righteous, has never compromised herself in any way, who would make a fantastic wife, amazing mother, and yet nobody is giving her the time of day. No one would pursue her. No one even would consider her as a marriage partner. Why is it that there are couples in the church who would make fantastic parents and yet for whatever reason cannot get pregnant? Meanwhile, there are pagan counterparts who are so self-absorbed, so narcissistic, they constantly get pregnant with kids they don't even want. Why do we live in this kind of world? Because that is the world we live in. It is a world that discourages the people of God. And because that is so, we need to recognize why it's so important that you and I, that we frequently, consistently, chronically gather together in an in-person setting so we speak words of encouragement, do acts of encouragement for one another so that we can counteract and countermind the discouraging effects that this world constantly throws at us. Because here's the thing, folks, I don't care if you think you have robust faith. I don't care if you think you are uber devoted to Jesus. If you are not getting your fair share of encouragement and not giving your fair share of encouragement to the people around you, your faith will unravel. It will be unbound, and eventually it could disintegrate. Consider the great apostle Paul who none of us in here would ever dare say is a spiritual weakling, and yet he even confessed of how he desperately needs to be encouraged. Consider in his own words, 2 Corinthians 7, where he says this, For even when we came into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were afflicted on every side, conflicts without, fears within, but God, who comforts the depressed, he was depressed, comforted us by the coming of Titus. If someone of the spiritual caliber of the great Apostle Paul needs to be encouraged, what makes you think that you and I don't need to be encouraged as well? We live in a discouraging world, and there is times and necessities where you need to be encouraged and you need to encourage others because this is the context, this is the situation, this is the world we're living in. Now, I know you might hear that and you're like, well, Pastor I don't know how I can pull that off, right? Because going back to some of the examples you gave, how do I encourage a single lady who desperately wants to get married who's discouraged by her singleness? I don't have the power to snap her a husband. You know, that's what would encourage her. So what do you expect me to do? What could I possibly do? What could I possibly say? You know, 
Or how about that couple who can't get pregnant? What am I going to do to encourage them? I can't give them a child. Right? Maybe I shouldn't give them my child. So what can I possibly do to encourage when I'm powerless to provide the very thing that they're deprived of that's causing them to be so discouraged now? That's a great question. And that leads me to my final point, how encouraging one another is possible. Let's read verses 8 and 10 all together one more time. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Here Paul tells us how we can be encouraged in a discouraging world. We need to remember something. More specifically, we need to remember someone. We need to remember Jesus. Listen again. Make sure you didn't uh, not hear it. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. We might live with him. See, Paul is essentially saying is this. Look, you may be discouraged because you're not getting the proper recognition at work that you rightly deserve. You might be discouraged because you don't have a spouse in your life and there's nowhere no, no prominent person in sight who could fulfill that role. You may be discouraged because your womb is crying out for a child and that child is nowhere near your body. But you can still be encouraged, Christian, because you have Jesus. You have Jesus. And you need to be reminded that you have this Jesus. How? By constantly remembering the gospel by Christians encouraging you with the good news of the gospel. Because what is the gospel? The gospel is the message that says God has every right, because of our sins, to discourage us with the most discouraging thing of all. He could have banished us. He could have rejected us. He could have separated himself forever due to our sins. And he would have been completely justified in doing so, but he does not. Instead, out of love, he comes into the world as a mortal human being, Jesus Christ, and he does what? He suffers the full payment, the full punishment for all of your sins and my sins on the cross as your Savior substitute to where if you put your faith in him through the repentance of your sins, you are forgiven of those sins. And then what else? You're given the promise that he is always with you, right? See, the thing that Paul wants to teach the Thessalonians and us today is instead of fixating on when Jesus is coming back the second time, we need to focus on what Jesus did the first time when he came. Let me say that again. Instead of fixating on what, when Jesus is coming for the second time, we need to go back and remember what Jesus did for us the first time. Because what did Jesus do for us when he came the first time? He acquired through his work on the cross God's approval, God's acceptance, God's affection. God's approval, God's acceptance, God's affection upon us. And Paul says, you need to remember that. That's so crucial. Why? Because when we understand that, then we come to see why having God is the most encouraging thing of all. Let me explain. Let's say that single young lady who's been single for many years and so discouraged, right, finally finds Mr. Right. He comes into her life, and she's married to him. And on the day of her wedding, she's super encouraged. Here's my question. Do you think she's going to stay that encouraged throughout her married life with him? Probably not. Why? Two reasons. Sin, death, right? As soon as she marries Mr. Right, 
Eventually, she's going to realize that moment he's Mr. Wrong because he's a sinner. And her sin comes out in response to his. And not only that, even when things are going well, there's still the sadness of death, right? Either your death or your spouse's death. Or how about that situation of, the, of that magical couple who would make great parents? They're so discouraged because they're so infertile. And then by a miracle, they get pregnant and this baby comes into their life and they're super encouraged. You think they're going to stay encouraged? No. I am a father of five, okay? I love my babies, yeah? Two problems, though. Sin, death, right? Sin and death. When your angel is capable of becoming a demon that makes you into a, a demon yourself, you're not that encouraged. Or when they move on out to college, or God forbid, when you're gone by death or they're gone by death, See, anything or anyone that can be a source of encouragement here and now eventually leads to discouragement because of sin and death. But God's acceptance, God's approval, God's affection for you never discourages you because your God never sins and your God never dies. Do you see? Now do you understand if God is the primary source of your encouragement, that no matter how hard this world discourages you, no matter how overwhelmed you get, you have a baseline foundation that ensures a bare minimum of encouragement that gives you the mindset to not crave for the second coming, oh, come quickly, Jesus, but instead a mindset to say, I am stabilized and secure because I have the promise of my eternal God that he will forever accept me, he will always approve of me, and he is so affectionate towards me in Jesus Christ. Therefore, I can go out into the world and encourage this world that desperately needs that same encouragement. It needs the encouraging news of the gospel. And if I go out into the world and I do get discouraged, which is something that does happen, that's when I come together with my brothers and my sisters, where I gather in person, consistently, chronically, and I speak the gospel to each other, and they speak the gospel back to me. And now my mindset is where it should be. I remember the good news and the foundation of why I should always be encouraged, even during discouraging times and discouraging seasons. You see? This is why we are called to encourage one another because we have a gospel to proclaim to the world and a gospel to remind each other so that Jesus Christ is exalted and that he shows himself to be who he truly is he is the encouraging person of all he is the hope of the world he is your hope he is my hope he is ours together amen amen let's pray father as we think about all the things that we are constantly discouraged by, whether because we are deprived of certain things or opportunities or certain people that we desire, Lord, we thank you that we have not been deprived of the most crucial thing we need most of all, which is you. You have accepted us. You have approved of us. You have given your affection upon us, all because of the work of your beloved son, our great elder brother, Jesus Christ, our Savior, our King, our Messiah, our friend. And now, God, we pray that as we think and ponder about all the things that we're discouraged with right now, that we would always run towards the church, and that as a church family, we would be eager and ready to announce the gospel once again to one another so that we would remember that all the discouraging things that weigh us down 
melt away in the bright light of the encouraging hope that we have of being forever yours and you being forever ours. God, we are discouraged. There are so many things to be discouraged for. But when we look to the cross, we know ultimately that we are people of hope, people of joy, and people of encouragement. Help us to remember that as we proceed and continue together. For we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. We're now going to give the Lord his.